Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior. I want to give you a quick intro to what you're about to hear. It is a replay of a video recording that we've been publishing. This is now the fourth week. It's called our SPI Weekly Roundup. If you're completely unfamiliar, then perhaps you're not paying much attention to the annual Solar Power International Conference that's happening right now in its micro-conference version in the United States of America. I would encourage you to go check it out at mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. This little video is one that we've been producing now in its fourth week, and I'm so grateful for our sponsors, LG Solar, and our new sponsor, Idematech, and so many of the fun collaborations that we've been able to have. You'll notice that we've got a new segment this week, if you have listened to the previous weeks. It's called Industry Pulse, brought to us by our friends at LG Solar, Brian Lynch, and as well, his guest, Mike Casey from Tigercom, talking all about how policy really is driving this industry in many material ways. Of course, we get into other interviews and things that you missed from last week's SPI and Energy Storage International. I hope that you'll tune in this Friday at 4.30 p.m. where we'll have another episode and another segment of the Industry Pulse, as well as a couple of good cameos and goodies and the long-awaited giveaway by our friends at Idematech. So give it a listen and give us a shout-out on LinkedIn or Twitter if you're listening with the hashtag SPI Suncast. In the meantime, I hope that you'll enjoy this redux of the Suncast Weekly Roundup SPI Edition, Week 4. Hey, welcome back to North America Smart Energy Week, Suncast Weekly Roundup presented by LG. I'm Nico Johnson. And I'm Glenna Johnson here with an exciting recap of what was a two-part week with deploying energy storage presented by ESI Microconference and a technical symposium. Alongside two days of insights from experts in energy storage, attendees had the opportunity to hear from a variety of presenters from the technical and scientific communities. Yeah, Glenda, that's right. For those of you like me with the attention span of a hummingbird, the tech symposium is the perfect bite-sized chunk of content. It goes deep into a specific topic, but only 10 minutes of content. Glenda, any favorites stand out for you from this week? Well, yeah, it seemed like long duration storage was a key focus during the ESI conference. And it was great to learn about some of those latest buzzwords and solutions, including one technology I found pretty fascinating that resembled giant Jenga. You all will have to go back and watch that session on long duration storage to see what I'm talking about. How about you, Nico? Well, for those who are actually looking for deeper insights rather than just putting something on play while you're going about the rest of your work, I would encourage 
looking at the practical limitations on solar in the U.S. market by watching Eric O'Shaughnessy's session on solar PV permitting timelines. That's part of the tech symposium, which, as I mentioned, is well worth the 10 minutes deep dive. Hey, Glenda, while SPI is a buzz in the PV community, the vice president debate punctuates the reality that our industry is actually really driven by policy as much as pricing. That's right. And here to dig deeper into how policy is shaping the coming year, Brian Lynch joins us for our newest segment, where each week he'll go one-on-one with an industry expert to get hot takes on all the latest topics impacting our industry. Let's head over to Brian, who's standing by for this week's Industry Pulse. Thanks, Nico. I'm Brian Lynch, Director of Solar and Energy Storage at LG Electronics. I'm joined by Mike Casey, President of TigerCom, a strategic communications firm located in Northern Virginia. Mike and I have been good friends for a long time. He is my phone friend for policy in the solar industry. And we're going to spend the next five minutes talking solar policy and the election. Mike, what does solar policy look like between a Trump or a Biden win? I think, Brian, fundamentally... The answer to that question is up to us as an industry, and it depends on whether or not we're willing to step up and do the things that big boy and big girl industries do instead of being a small, cute chia pet that we were 15 years ago. We really become a major part of mainstream energy production in this country, and yet our public case-making lags significantly behind that. And the extent to which we're going to succeed, regardless of who wins next month, has everything to do with how much we're willing to lean into the mandate of much more sophisticated, much more robust and better funded communications efforts in the next year. Mike, does the solar industry have a China problem when it comes to federal policy, given the dominance of Chinese manufacturers in SIA and in the industry as a whole? I think we have a landscape challenge and we have to acknowledge the fact that the Chinese approach to subsidization of solar panel making did have a U.S. manufacturing impact, but it also had a industry scaling and standardization benefit. The question now is, are we as a community of manufacturers going to continue to exacerbate a commoditization challenge that many of us are complaining about, or are we going to lean into the strategies that have been proven to break individual players within a commoditized industry out of commoditization pressure? And that's really whether or not we you have a Trump presidency or a Biden presidency. It doesn't really much matter. Tariffs, tariffs under Biden or Trump, do they go away? Do they decrease? What happens with the tariff landscape post-election? Well, you know, trade policies and politics are probably above our pay grade and the pay grade of pretty much anyone listening here. But I think that whether you're being tariffed or not, the need for stronger public case-making is there. There's just no way around that. So whether you are having to solve for a tariff or solve for the absence of a tariff, the requisites of success are heavily shared. 
Right now, we're recording this. We're talking first week of October. The market seems to be pricing in a Biden win, and renewable energy stocks across the board are up significantly since really after the first debate. Is this the market saying that Biden is better for renewable energy? What do we do if, if Trump wins? Well, we should do the same things that we would do under a Biden presidency. And, and I would almost assert that we have in solar a commercial success inevitability. What we have in question is a scaling speed. And that is really what is up to us. And my concern is Biden wins. Many in solar who see him as a real leader and a value add to our industry, put their feet up a little bit. We can go back to quote unquote normal, but we're not in a normal. We're in a new, much more robust solar age. And we have got to catch our public case making up to the reality of our size and our physical presence around the country. If you overlay the map of where solar employs people and generates economic activity and generates tax base, and you then take that map and put it over the map of our enthusiastic federal representation, there are a lot of gaps. And that's crazy. Nobody in America employs people like we do, generates economic activity like we do, and tolerates the tepid federal representation that we do. And that is a clarion call, regardless of who wins, to step up our game. This week, the big news, capital markets, next era surpassed Exxon in terms of market capitalization. Does that ever go back or do the carbon-free utilities and owner-operators just now always maintain a trajectory that will be greater than oil and gas? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So several things. First, it's important for us to recognize that the gas industry is now the oil and gas industry, which means that oil majors have gone from getting you from point A to point B to generating electrons to power your house and increasingly your car. They are therefore bringing the decades of skill at weaponizing propaganda and influence to slow down market challengers, and that would be us. And I hope NextEra never is eclipsed again by ExxonMobil, unless ExxonMobil has a wholesale change of heart. But we need to be wary that if we're not intentional about claiming market dominance, the speed with which we seize it will be much slower than if we get purposeful about it and get aggressive about it. I mean, the climatological imperative here, it grows all the more dire with every passing month. Like we just don't have time to screw around with these oil and gas guys. They just need need to change as Total and BP and Shell are considering or we're going to let the Aramcos and the Chevrons and the ExxonMobils, they're, they're, we're going to sell the last drop of oil, pull out a planet Earth strategy. We need, to, we need to make sure that goes in the dustbin as fast as possible. Speaking of fast as possible, last question. 2020 has been a crazy year. No one expected it to go this way. But what's the biggest inflection point for the industry? Can we look back and say that 2020 was the year that things changed for solar, despite everything that was pushing us down? I think it will. And I'll tell you why. Because we have, as an industry, survived and are now beginning to thrive because we're adapting to a digital marketing environment. We cannot sell systems on the door. We have to sell them on Zoom and on Facebook. And 
if we can continue to get better at that, then we're going to adapt to the new information consumption environment that will that will be birthed by the COVID era. Even if you had a successful vaccine tomorrow, people are still going to consume and relate to information in fundamentally different ways because of this pandemic and the recession. That's a wrap. Mike, thanks for joining. Back to you, Nico and Glenda in the studio. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity? You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with PowerHub. Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with PowerHub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. Hey, have you been looking for a clever way to get on Suncast? Well, here's your chance. We've got a new segment called Suncast Weekly Roundup presented by LG Solar, and it's a part of the all-new microconference experience at North America Smart Energy Week 2020. You can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. You can register with our discount code to get 15% off. You can share your takeaways for a chance to win fun prizes and follow along. And as I said, you never know, you might even end up on one of the segments, but you got to participate to win. Hope you'll join us. MySuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. See you there. Have you been searching for that perfect rule that gets you into clean energy or maybe transitions your career to the next level? Might I invite you to check out LightSource BP? That's right. The global company focused on solar energy and low carbon economies backed by one of the largest energy companies in the world from strategy around the world to action locally you can be inspired and be the change by joining lightsource bp by choosing a career at lightsource bp you will join a team that truly cares about creating a more sustainable future for our world through safe and meaningful low carbon energy projects learn more and find out what career awaits you at lightsourcebp.com forward slash careers. Well, for now, I'm jumping inside the green room with this week's first guest in our exciting lineup from these incredible sessions. Okay, welcome to the green room. As we said, this week is focused on storage at the very beginning of the week, and it was kicked off with a fantastic session hosted and moderated by our guest right now, Jessica Lim, who's the Principal Manager, Product Management at Southern California Edison. Jessica, welcome to the Green Room. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You did a fantastic job moderating a session around how storage can be used to achieve long-term equity outcomes. Could you give us a sense of where the key insights were found and some of the takeaways from the panel? Yeah, I'd be happy to. The key insight that I would like attendees to have walked away with from our panel discussion is that reaching a carbon-free future will require equity and access across the board. And this includes in our communities that are of the greatest need, whether it's because of high pollution or low income. In our panel discussion, Nicole Sitaraman, a clean energy advocate, 
and Pari Kasotia from Vote Solar did an incredible job laying out the landscape of how storage fits in with equity and with our long-term objectives. And then we also had a good discussion about the practical solutions that are going to be required so that we could achieve this long-term outcome together. And we had Nora Hawkins from the California Public Utilities Commission and Christopher Elias from SunPower walk us through some, again, like I said, practical solutions and how we progress and move battery storage solutions forward for our low-income to moderate-income communities. Thanks for that insight, Jessica. I wonder, were there any practical solutions that seem to resonate the most across the panel? Sure. I think that the most practical solution that resonated across the panel was just having the awareness that we need to build for our low to moderate income communities to be aware of battery storage and the education and outreach that will be required so that customers and communities are aware of the technology and the solutions that are accessible to them. Yeah. It's not uncommon that in a condensed time frame and 45 minutes still is somehow condensed, uh, there are topics that go un- uncovered. Is there anything in particular that you had hoped to get to, but time or the discussion just didn't take it there? Yeah, great question. It would have been great if we had gotten a question or had discussion around how other states and their public utilities commission could create a similar program to our self-generation incentive program here in California that offers incentives for the purchase of battery storage solutions. How could we be better utilizing battery storage for the economic recovery we all expect in 2021? Yeah, great question. I think that battery storage has a key role in economic recovery. And as I mentioned earlier, if we think of battery storage solutions as far as making the incentives more accessible to low to moderate income communities, this would provide additionally economic stimulation in terms of job creation as well for those communities. And in addition, battery storage does provide economic value in terms of customer bill savings, especially paired with solar. At Southern California Edison, we just launched a innovative pilot with Sunrun, where Nicole Sitaraman also mentioned in the panel session the concept of bring your own device. So at SCE, we are excited that we have launched this pilot with Sunrun, where we are calling it a virtual power plant pilot. And customers that are on this program will receive an incentive for participating in a 12-month study. And so I think that there is tremendous opportunity in the future for unlocking the value of battery storage. Fantastic. And I look forward to the results from the virtual power plant pilot that Sokal Edison is engaged in as well. And I hope that If you didn't get a chance to go check out the session on using storage to achieve long-term equity outcomes with Jessica and her esteemed panel, you'll take the time to do that. Thank you, Jessica Lim from SoCal Edison. Now we're going to head over to Glenda, who has Kate Howling in the green room. Thank you, Nico. We are here with Kate Howling, Engineering Director at GlidePath. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So earlier this week, you were part of a great panel of storage experts. For those who may have missed that session, and I definitely encourage you all to watch it. It was a solar plus storage and flexible long duration storage from buzzwords to solutions session that aired on Monday. So what are some key insights you want our audience to come away with? Yeah, I I think we um, had a great 
um, representation on the panel to talk about a wide variety of um, energy storage solutions. So, um, you know, we really highlighted the need for flexible long-term duration. So we can call that, you know, a battery that's like six hours or longer. Um, there's a need for long duration storage on our grid, especially as we move to, you know, zero or low carbon goals and renewable goals, um, because in, renewables are inherently intermittent. You need uh, something to fill in the gaps uh, between when solar's producing or when wind's producing um, and long duration storage absolutely fits that mold. You know, I, I think we were able to highlight different battery technologies such as flow batteries. Um, those are great um, options for long duration storage. Of course, lithium ion batteries, um, which are um, good for like shorter duration, but because of the declining cost of lithium ion batteries, there's opportunity to use them for long duration storage as well. Then we also covered some other uh, storage solutions such as pumped hydro. We even talked about a storage solution where you kind of have these giant concrete blocks uh, that you lift up with a crane and then you lower um, when you want to discharge batteries. So you can envision that like a giant Jenga for energy storage. That's awesome. And I will say that I was one of the people that had a little giggle when you mentioned that. And it seems like the panelists also love that that comparison as well. So we appreciate the, the, add of, the added humor to the conversation. <laughs> Again, uh, we want everyone to come back and, and watch a full session, of course, but just for the sake of giving them a, a few tidbits from the session, while we all chat about the long-term battery solutions, you also made sure that short-duration solutions was not lost in the conversation. I know you mentioned it earlier. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I mentioned the need for long-duration storage to fill in these um, long gaps between when renewable energy is producing um, or not producing. But, you know, as we, especially as we introduce more intermittent resources onto the grid and renewables are inherently intermittent, um, there's a need to provide um, some solution to enable the grid to continue to be resilient, right? So, you know, if you have solar generation that's kind of spiky, you know, clouds come over solar panels or a solar farm um, that can cause drastic drops in production, um, that can cause some spikiness on the grid. And, you know, a shorter duration battery, even if we're talking about one hour or less than one hour, can help resolve some of the consequences of that spikiness on the grid. So there's a need to provide reactive power support, there's a need to provide ramp rate control and even frequency response. Those will be needs, um, you know, that the grid will have looking forward, <laughs> you know, indefinitely. And short duration storage is, is definitely the answer for, for those issues. Yeah, of course, a, a complete conversation uh, was definitely had in that that panel. And but you could only cover but so much in that 45 minute session with with the other panelists. Was there any question or topic that you think or wish was covered during that session? Yeah, well, we had um, on the panel, we had um, somebody representing Lockheed Martin who develops their own storage equipment. Myself, I'm with a developer and independent power producer developing grid scale batteries. And we had somebody from a more behind the meter solution. So, you know, something like that you would install in your garage, um, you know, along with your solar panels. And so I think with that range of industry experience, I would have loved to hear everybody's experience with supply agreements with their battery suppliers and even contracting with off takers. So like when you're installing a battery with a utility, 
you know, what are the utilities looking for? Um, if you're installing a battery in somebody's house, what are either the owners looking for or what are the permitting authorities looking for? I think it would have been great to kind of pick each other's brains on on our experience in that realm. That's great. Well, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being part of the conversation with yeah, your thank session. You. Uh, thank you, Kate. We have Kate Howling, Engineering Director at GlidePath. I appreciate you joining us. Cool. Thanks. It was great to be here. Hey, everyone. We are here with Cameron Freeberg, Utility Strategist at Austin Energy. Welcome. Hi, it's good to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So you just finished your session earlier today. What are some key insights you think the attendees need to take away from that session? Well, one of the key insights, so we did cram um, a three-year project into eight minutes. So there's a lot more to take away than what we talked about. But one of the big things I think that's a takeaway is just how utilities are starting to bring in new technology like energy storage. There are many, many different approaches. And so I just want to give a snapshot of what we're doing in Austin and how we're integrating it with kind of our, you know, legacy systems and how we're making that transition. Yeah, that's great. And and you mentioned it already that that it was a truncated uh, time frame. You had about eight, eight to 10 minutes to really do your presentation. If you had a chance to dive deeper into, into the topic, what do you what do you think you would have presented to the audience? So one of the biggest things that I think that is of value, especially, you know, the, the audience is looking to implement things like energy storage, looking to implement things like more solar. Um, what are some of those logistical barriers that we actually came across? I didn't have a chance to go through a lot of those because, as you mentioned, you know, eight to 10 minutes for about three and a half years of work, there, um, <laughs> there's going to be a, quite a bit left out and we kept it rather high level. But there's a lot of things that are, I'm not going to say they're in the way, but you have to work through that we didn't get a touch on. Um, so, for instance, you know, as we're deploying battery systems, sure, on paper, it's like, okay, we'll put this here, we'll connect to solar, everything's good. Um, there's a lot of things that are in the way of that. A lot of things, if you're going to do disruptive technologies, you want to understand those things that you're disrupting. So, things like permitting, working with fire departments, acquiring land, all these things that kind of live outside of a typical utility space or a typical renewable energy space and, and how you kind of work through those issues or partner with different agencies are one of the biggest things that I think that would be helpful to anybody on the implementation side as far as, you know, the pathway to installing new tech. Yeah, of course. And again, if you haven't watched the session earlier today, you could still go back and watch it um, on demand. The session came on at 3.10 p.m., Optimizing Solar and Storage in Complex DER Systems, Austin Shines. Again, thank you for joining us, Cameron. And we're going to head back to Nico, who is with our final guest. Hey, thanks, Linda. Here we are with Marion Hill, Senior Vice President, Renewables Advisory at DNV GL. Now, Marion just wrapped a session in the technical symposium all around delivering 100% renewable energy. Marion, welcome to the weekly roundup. Thank you very much. Indeed, appreciate you taking some time to drop by here at the green room with us. The, the, the narrative, the main topic of your session in the technical symposium is how corporate off-takers are thinking about matching their low profile and they're no longer satisfied by simply meeting their demand. So there's a need as an industry to deliver better products. I'd love to hear from your perspective, for those maybe who didn't catch your session, what are the key insights that you hope folks will get from this 10-minute 
snippet of a fantastic tech symposium that you just did. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the way that we operate and use our transmission grids are changing. And, and one of the big components is that we have an increasing number of corporate off-takers procuring energy directly from renewable energy projects. And, but what we're seeing now is that the stakeholder groups are pushing them beyond just procuring energy to match their load on an annual basis, but to procure those projects closer to where their load is on a similar part of the electricity system, but also to match it more on a monthly or seasonal or even hourly basis. Mm. So we recently, Google announced that they were going to be matching on an hourly basis their load globally by 2030. EDF has also come up with their product, GTech, to offer a similar type of matching to others interested. And, and so how do we get to this hourly matching of of renewables to load, I think it's be greater forecasting, it's greater uh, demand-side management flexibility, but it's also a combination of wind and solar and storage, but also some of the market mechanics to use the wholesale market to adjust and fill in the gaps. To, because we need to do this economically, we need to keep power prices down for these consumers, and we need to keep uh, the products that we're offering to them really simple to enable this transition. Yeah, it's increasingly important as an industry for us to grow into a productization of our services. And while I, I see and hear that big corporations like Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon are driving that change from a productization perspective, one of the things that I'm curious about is how are the next 50, 100,000 companies going to approach the problem that Google and others are presumably solving? What products are they going to need? Yes. So the big companies have large energy teams. They're large energy consumers. However, to make a real difference in the energy transition is getting the next 50,000 companies engaged in procuring renewables. And energy procurement is not their core expertise, and it will not be their core expertise if we are unable to offer them really simple products that they can consume to match their load. And some of that simplification is going to be coming through the utilities. They're not going to have the expertise to procure renewable energy or take on that risk profile of procuring energy directly from a power project. Project, utilities have a really great opportunity to, to work through the customers and deliver them the products that they need. But we also need some uh, ability for them to get that marketing component so that their stakeholders recognize that they are getting 100% renewables and they are matching that. And so having programs and products that are really simple to offer geographical uh, diverse companies with an ability to match their renewable energy locally. Yeah. The other takeaway from your session that I wanted to drill down on. I feel that there is a, there's a lot at play. There's a lot of interplay at a, at a grid level. And we also agree generally that 60, 70, 80% renewables is doable today. It's that last 20% that will require additional what has been referred to as grid flexibility or a flexible grid as a, as a final note, can you help unpack what it means to have a flexible grid? Yeah, we've done a lot of different modeling for different use cases and load profiles, and we can match with wind and solar and storage getting to about 90% in most cases mm -hmm. uh, economically. Um, to get the last 10% is really using wholesale markets to uh, fill that in to get the most economical approach to doing that. 
the grids of the future are going to be changing. There's a lot of storage that we're going to be brought onto the grid when we're looking at hydro, hydrogen, uh, lithium-ion batteries, and flow batteries that will be charging and discharging on a daily basis to meet the, the hourly demands of the customer loads. And that storage, in order to get that onto the market uh, to match renewables and get to 100%, we need to have market mechanics that really value the flexibility uh, through ramp, uh, monetized ramping, balancing capacity of the storage. And so that change in, in valuating the, the, the attributes that storage brings to bring in renewables is critical to enable us to get to 100% renewables. It's a fascinating topic, and I do believe that this was one of the more complex and comprehensive topics introduced in the Tech Symposium. For those of you who didn't get a chance, I would encourage you to go back and watch the session that just recently finished here on Friday with Marion Hill, Senior Vice President of Renewables Advisory at DNV GL. Marion, thank you so much for joining us at Solar Power International, as well joining us here in the green room. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's great to see new uh, innovations on how to do these interviews. Absolutely. We're going back to the studio. Glenda, you know, I'm always so impressed with the quality of content that is being produced week after week. And this week was no exception. I really enjoyed that interview with Marion. And I hope that folks are going to go back and watch it, as well as the other on-demand content, if you didn't get a chance to join live. We're going to jump into next week, which is going to be a fantastic series of content all about grid integration. Let's take a quick look at that agenda, which starts on Tuesday. Well, on Tuesday afternoon, we kick it off with a session all about hybrid resources, followed by solar and storage as transmission assets. On Wednesday, we have three sessions, not your grandparents' distribution utility, followed by maximizing DER value through real-time controls and guidelines for solar and storage interconnection. This is going to be some real deep learning, and I look forward to watching it. Then Friday afternoon, we pick up with two more sessions with planning for resilience and building community resilience with microgrids. And hey, don't forget, there are also four on-demand sessions which get into hybrid projects, high renewable penetration scenarios, DERs and wholesale markets, and even corporate procurement outlook. Well, that does it for us here at North America's Smart Energy Week's Suncast Weekly Roundup. Thank you once again to our partner, LG Solar, for helping us make the weekly roundup possible. Don't forget as well, you can be a part of the conversation. Please share your takeaways. Use that hashtag SPI Suncast. Not many of you are using the hashtags, but I see folks tweeting and commenting on LinkedIn. Use that hashtag, and as a thank you, will incorporate your comments into next week's show. We'll be right back in studio next Friday at 4.30 Eastern to bring you more insights from Solar Power International 2020. I'm Nico Johnson. And I'm Glenda Johnson signing off until next week. All right, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors. But I do hope that you'll check out the other Two for Tuesday episodes and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. 
And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails, or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. A special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there for any offers we've discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.